I guess you could say history's being made on the belated binge podcast today, and I'm celebrating a significant milestone and achievement, which I'll share in more detail later after I bring on my special guest. If you're still a Harry Potter fan in 2023, you're going to know this name. It's Eric Skull of MuggleCast. Welcome to Belated Binge Harry Potter, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, your host, and today is part one of my conversation with Eric, where we're exploring the Potterhead fandom through the ages with one of the most prominent creators within it. So strap in for Harry Potter, a history. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we jump in, spoilers, obviously. Language, probably. Shout out to Alex and Katie of the Bonus Binge Squad over on Patreon. Eric. Please say hi and let people know you're not being held against your will. Uh, hello. Uh, for those watching the video, I am not uh, blinking excessively, <laughs> uh, which means that I am not being held against uh, my free will. I think I said there wasn't a double negative in there. Uh, hi, I'm Eric. It's a pleasure, Zach, to finally be a part of this show. Likewise, uh, this is awesome for a whole a whole lot of reasons that I'm going to get into uh, in just a second because I didn't tell you that you're coming on for a particularly special episode for this podcast. So if you will indulge me for a second, I would love to go into a brief teeny tiny story time before we make the rest of the episode, essentially about you and Harry Potter. Okay. So when I started this podcast well over two years ago now, um, somehow, I had, I had a handful of goals that I wanted to achieve with the podcast. Um, and with most of them, yeah, I'm nowhere close, but today this is a super special episode because I've officially achieved one of the biggest goals that I've had on my list. So you could say if I never recorded another episode again, hopefully that's not the case, belated binge would officially be a success as of right now. Oh, wow. Would you like to hear about the goal? I would like to hear the goal. So before I ever posted an episode became a creator in the space. I was a consumer of the space and I made a pie in the sky, like dream collaboration list of three guest targets of Potterless, Super Carlin Brothers and MuggleCast. And on top of that, I had a choice creator from all of those things that would be like my dream collaboration and you were the top of that list so wow. the reason i didn't tell you that you were coming on for a major milestone episode of the podcast is you're kind of the milestone so before we actually get started i did want to say thank you for coming on on the list of things that you've done in the fandom this is going to mean nothing to you, but, uh, False. but for me, it means a ton. False. So thank that you. is incredibly <laughs> kind. That is so, so incredibly kind, and it means so much that you said that. And I am really, really happy to be – I was happy to come on. I was happy to be asked and invited on. I think it's awesome that what you're doing, what you said about being a consumer before being a creator is 100% the way that I believe this all works. I've been wary over many years of like creative stagnation of like, am I just consuming too much? Should I be creating more? And it's hard to kind of switch gears sometimes, and it's also hard to – make something that's yours that you can be passionate about that you keep coming back to and um so so all of that resonates and uh yeah i'm just incredibly uh thrilled that you've met one of your goals and uh <laughs> very humbled uh that one of them was just me <laughs> having me on a show because it's really easy i i i you could you, you could reach out anytime others can reach out anytime and if i'm free i will make it happen but this uh that's very special. So thank you. No, the, thank you. This is awesome. And now I've sufficiently kissed your ass and made everyone uh, involved uncomfortable. Let's talk a little bit about why. Like, let's start with like the elevator pitch. Your podcast is a literal legal adult at this point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how, how did you get to that? And like, how are you still talking about Harry Potter for 18 years? It's a common 
question whenever we say we're still here. Actually, many people who originally listened and who happened to fall off for the years find us again on social or whatever. And are like, I'm one of them. You guys are still, you fell off in the middle there somewhere? Well, I, yeah. So I found you all when I jumped into Harry Potter as a middle of my, I think I was 25. Uh Um, And I found you like immediately thereof. And so I listened for like three or four years, kind of didn't consume much for a couple Mm -hmm. and then jumped back in. Mm Mm-hmm. And went back with you, and I'm like, they're still, they're still doing the thing, and, still doing the thing. <laughs> um, I think I've jumped, I even jumped back to some of the chapter by chapters that you had done like years prior, because you all went out of order the first time. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was audio quality in what 2015 and whatnot was very different. Well, it, much better than 2005. That's true. Uh, we were, That's I think true. Originally, we were on either USB headsets or <laughs> old microphones that plugged into the audio ports instead of the USBs. You know, they weren't even high tech or, and and because of that, Audacity would always crash. We've lost episodes. There were there were many pitfalls along the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah. T- so the question was, uh, how how are we still finding things right. to talk about? Right. Yeah. It's it's crazy because for the majority of its lifespan, MuggleCast has been weekly. So there's also that because the frequency of podcasts can vary. Uh, now, what I think is really awesome that people are doing is like seasons of their show. And so they'll mm-hmm. do, you know, a dedicated set of 12 or 15 or fewer uh, episodes. And then they're off for like several months because these days the podcasting sphere is so like robust too that people like won't leave you forever if you if you go out of uh you know regularity it's like okay i'll keep that on my subscribed list and i have 50 other podcasts that i want to listen to so it's like okay that's great but no we've pretty much kept up i mean except for a period of time uh in like i think 2013 ish when we like ended the show uh (laughs) for we're like yeah everyone were we're going away. And I think it was like 270 episodes in uh, that what that really represented what we thought was a a slowing down and like Harry Potter was never over. We were like, we're never going to say never to return again, but we've exhausted all the content. That was the moment <laughs> where we said we have talked about everything Harry Potter wise um and it and it wasn't true in certain circumstances we never had gone through i think books five and six uh which is why we did those more recently on chapter by chapter when we sort of came back to to doing that as a regular segment there were some things we could have done but all the movies had come out all the books had come out we had done years seven or eight or more years of speculation uh and you know it was just kind of a natural uh closing so we ended the show and within i think two weeks uh the fantastic beast movies were announced as well as cursed child uh an upcoming (laughs) stage play on broadway and we had to do a quick about face we were like just kidding we're back um so to answer your question i think you know in a in a less roundabout way like it ebbs and flows and there is like we changed the frequency when things got uh, rough. So even though we've mostly been weekly, when we decided that we were coming back, it's not like we immediately could see Fantastic Beasts, right? It had just been mm-hmm. announced. I didn't even think it was in more, more than like the first stages of production at the time. So while we were back regular, we were monthly um, mm. or or less. I think, I think there was actually a, a whole year where there were maybe fewer than 10 episodes of MuggleCast. Don't oh, wow. quote me, I could certainly look it up. But but that was like the slow year. That was the year before we, we like, Cursed Child had been announced, but before we could see it, before we really knew much about mm-hmm. it. And then when we started our Patreon in 2016, uh, which again, like coincided kind of with some of that getting back into things, yeah. it feels like we really have had no time off. But there was very much a, a difference in trying to produce a MuggleCast episode monthly versus trying to produce an, an episode weekly. And really, we've just always been guided by what part of the fandom are we engaging with? Uh, you know, are we are we looking to have on uh, people do fan fan art, fanfic, wizard rock? There's still all these untapped, like we've done episodes on each of those topics, but we haven't really done deep dives. And there's still that like possibility. So for the most part, 
we've been vibing with whatever movie was coming out. We've been <laughs> vibing with general fandom news because that's kind of like the origins of the MuggleCast. So uh, we've managed, but something that gave us a boost recently when we did go back to doing chapter by chapter episodes was the fact that it had been 15 years since we first did them. And when we started the show, we were teenagers and a teenager reads uh, even young adult and children's books way differently than an adult does. And so the new and fresh perspective meant that even if we did uh, go back through the same chapters, we would not be repeating ourselves, which I think is very important because mm -hmm. all of the episodes we've ever had are on our feed. And they're all still available if anybody wanted to like double up <laughs> on chapter episodes, especially for the first three books, you could. Oh. Uh, and the MuggleCast website, it would be so interesting, but nobody has said that they've like done it. Like if you listen to, I think it's like episode 32 of MuggleCast, like 032, and now we're on 624. Uh, but 032 is when we started chapter by chapter. And I think it was with book one. And if you go back to like, episode like 580 or something was when we started book one again it's like 15 years apart or more of actually closer to 16 uh or 17 years apart of like the same chapter from the same people but different perspectives and it'd be like wild but but that's how we justify it is that it's different enough and so we're covering a lot of the same ground but something about the harry potter books and why they were i think successful and how they're in our minds always is that every time you go back reading, even if it's only been a year since you last read that book, you find something new. They're, they're, it's complicated enough. It's detailed enough. It's resonating on a, on a slightly different frequency each time you go through. And that the richness of the text means that it is something that you can do a podcast that's like literary analysis and never really run out of ideas or topics. Yeah, I think that's crazy. And I think I just realized that there's a gap in the Harry Potter content creation space that somebody should fill. Um, it is the reaction videos to the MuggleCast podcast episodes. And <laughs> would you know, that would... I That would be crazy. Uh, but also it existed when the podcast first started. Or seriously, like like... So MuggleCast had a little bit of a boost because it was created by staffers at MuggleNet. You know, mm -hmm. MuggleNet.com, biggest Harry Potter fan site in the world, was getting insane amounts of traffic. And every new MuggleCast episode was posted on the main page there. And people were going to the site looking for news of, like, the next book release and the next official thing yeah. and getting MuggleCasts, you know, like, what's this? Click it. Okay, we found it. So we had a huge, huge, huge boost. But... Uh, in the beginning, in like within the first five episodes, there was an AOL chat room, uh, or or I guess <laughs> I guess like an AIM chat room called MuggleCast uh, or MuggleCast fan, it might have been, and that inspired a group of uh, kids our age or slightly younger uh, to do the MuggleCast fan chat cast. <laughs> And it's a podcast that ran for about 13 episodes. I was a guest on maybe like their fourth or fifth episode. I, can't ever, I really have never said no when somebody's asked me to be on their podcast. So uh, just let that be a lesson. Don't be so intimidated next time. Um, but no, the MuggleCast fan chat, like you got to understand this is before MySpace. This is before uh, Facebook. This is before I think the word meme was generally used to be yeah. i mean it, it to be what it means now like like but there were essentially memes there were essentially in jokes as part of like people were always you could go into this aol chat room and if if, if everyone left the room would like close but every time i went in there it was open and there were people in there and they were <laughs> listeners of MuggleCast, and a few of them started this show that basically did talk about each episode of MuggleCast after <laughs> MuggleCast, which I just, I can't imagine. I mean, the show is long off the air, the MuggleCast fan chat cast, but I'm pretty sure I have it on a hard drive somewhere. Uh, you know, the 13 episodes. It's very meta. It feels very strange. It's basically like when we go, when we do live events uh, or when we would do live events. When we were 17, 16, 15 years old. We would go to these events in these bookstores and people would ask us, you know, they come up after the podcast and ask us to sign their Harry Potter book. We're like, 
We Isn't that wild? We did not write these Harry Potter books. We have nothing to do with big fans, but they associate us yeah. with, you know, and they wanted us to sign. Of course we did. Of course we did that. Um, but it's so wild to think that we are, you know, because when we started it, like when I started podcasting, I wouldn't shut up. I was so, <laughs> so, so, so insanely just passionate about Harry Potter that like, Anything that associated me with this thing that I loved or anything that like, you know, could fuel that obsession that we were getting, we were letting our obsession out was what the podcast was. So the idea that anybody would like riff off of that or find enjoyment and then do their own thing. And like, but we do get that often of like MuggleCast was the first podcast I listened to. A lot of people say that um, it got me into podcasts or podcasting. Uh, we get that. And it's like, it really was one of the first podcasts mm -hmm. and certainly but what we would call it today is more of one of like the first like viral podcasts um and so yeah it just has been wild but there was very briefly at the the, the sort of the first year of its existence a reaction kind of <laughs> podcast that i just had to shout out i'm still i'm still close friends with uh one of the guys that was on it um and uh, i i i know some of the others still we're in we're in touch but yeah that's hilarious and i guess not nearly as original of an idea as i thought it was well no but, i mean you know, in hey. today's in today's like youtube because yeah. youtube first came out which was after our show uh started uh you could only do very short videos because nobody had internet you know that could do high speed vid or videos up to 10 minutes or anything now youtube videos i think are unlimited duration um so the idea of a reaction show or something like what will wheaton does uh after shows or like um talking dead is a show that amc does like now networks are doing like reaction mm -hmm. shows to their own shows yeah. and it's this crazy thing but like you're totally right that there is sort of an untapped market of like some like a youtuber or vlogger or somebody yeah. you know if anybody wants to do that that would be great but <laughs> most of the reason it hasn't existed is because we do take the time to involve audience feedback we always have we have always had muggle mail uh episodes where we dive into the muggle mailbag mm -hmm. um we've our our inboxes have always been open and uh other ideas like other segments like chicken soup for the muggle castle where people write in and tell us you know what the podcast means and stuff have always been a way to to get your voice heard so there hasn't been a huge need for uh you know immediate reaction things unless a team really wanted to get together and do it which would be real fun <laughs> um but yeah I, i'm not i'm certainly not calling for it uh i'm i'm imagining the reaction video of somebody with their head in the middle and then the chapter by chapters on each side of their head like play one oh play the God. other and just like how your opinions how your everything has changed somebody anyway somebody do, do that um, yeah somebody yeah. do that it's not gonna be me um i'm a, but i am i think i might have told you this in our uh in some of our dm conversation but that was actually part of the i guess it was almost like silent confirmation for me that this podcast could even exist um, because when I was thinking about what I've been wanting to do a podcast for a decade, um, cool. I used to work in radio and awesome. I don't anymore. And I kind of like just missed having a microphone in my face, I think mm -hmm. is all it really was. But as I was trying to figure out like what in the world would that even look like? Uh, and I, I went through all of my just insane list of things that don't make sense together but in my brain are all the things i like and when i landed on this like potentially the fan reaction the you know the literary analysis the like rewatch reread type of a of a i guess the the podcast sphere i was like what would it be and so i was like whittling down what books and shows and series and stuff like that um i kind of found the theme of like i was super late to this i was super late to this i was super late to the and it and it all started coming together but i was like yeah. what would i talk about with harry potter there's like not an original thought to be had could i even say anything compelling about harry potter as some guy that read it when he was 25 like at this point why why would it matter and you all had done an episode about um about voldemort's horcruxes and I sent in an email that I'm fairly certain nobody read, uh, but I sent in an email that was fairly 
lengthy about this theory that I had come up with about how um, each each Horcrux hiding place was a reflection of the way that Voldemort viewed the importance of that particular Horcrux, and oh. he hid it in a uh, a way that was um, that aligned with like what it represented to him and I, like i wrote it out sent it i didn't expect anything from like i certainly wasn't uh, uh i wasn't expecting a response necessarily but the fact that i could write it the fact that i could think it through the fact that i could make something that i thought was like fairly compelling and cohesive was like oh maybe i could talk about this you know what i mean like maybe i do have something that i could bring to this fandom in my in my own way and it be somewhat compelling to listen to uh so it kind of was a very much a launching pad of in the pre-planning stages of this podcast being like okay harry potter can be on that list of things that you actually talk about so, uh yeah i mean it, it really <laughs> does come down to everyone has everyone is their own person right so everyone brings something valuable to the table period uh no two opinions you know opinions can be aligned but no two opinions are the same and certainly if you have that background in radio you have an edge that so many people doing podcasts don't and you'd be able to make it sound good and you could get ahead in the podcast uh space yeah i don't know about ahead but you know i i, I at least got to skip the using airpods as my microphone stage that a lot of podcasters had to go through I just... when they first started out I, I love this email. By the way, we have it. And uh, I don't oh, know if you I, Yeah, I just looked it up. And I and it and it and we had read it uh and and actually and starred it. So if it if it had not made it into like a you know a a, a muggle mail uh episode, I'm sorry, it was probably oh, like, definitely no. shortlisted because okay. this is fantastic. This is really <laughs> good. I'm I'm gonna read this, okay? It's called Hiding Places Theory, episode 417. Oh god. <laughs> May 21st. 2019 free belated on, binge yeah belated didn't binge. exist <laughs> i sent this on twitter first but then realized you probably don't check it as often that's true we were we've always been awful about social media because we predate it um i, I hate I'm social media so much <laughs> yeah uh on episode 417 you were talking about the locket horcrux and why it had the amount of protections that it did yeah, I still worry about, I wonder about that. You proposed it may have been because of what it meant to him. I think there's something to this theory and not just for the locket. Theory in bold, each Horcrux represented something to Voldemort and thus was reflected in its hiding place. Here are your evidence examples. The ring was Gaunt's ring and thus hidden at the Gaunt house. And that's as simple as it gets. The locket was his mother's who left him in the orphanage and thus hidden in the cave, which he violated to some degree other children at said orphanage. The diary was a device to reopen the Chamber of Secrets and rid the school of Muggleborns and thus was hidden with Malfoy, a follower whose main goal was to remove Muggleborns from Hogwarts. That's good. The cup was taken from a rich lady who was flaunting her own wealth, importance, heritage, and thus hidden in one of the most prominent pureblood family vaults in Gringotts amongst their jewels and ample wealth. God, that's so good. <laughs> the, the diadem was lost and supposed to make the wearer smarter and thus hidden in a room in which the thought was the only one smart enough to have found it at the school where lost things go, perhaps. Ah, and finally, the snake, Nagini, was a companion that was vital in keeping him alive before he had his body back and who he may have seen as a bit of himself in as he may have uh, even possessed at times. Thus, he always kept her by his side under his own companionship protection. Zach, this is a gold email. This is this is everything we ever like to see or, or read uh, from from people. Oh, that's funny. It's hilarious that you found it. And I, geez, I haven't even revisited that uh, that thought process. I would have to pull it up in my own sent drafts to make it an episode on here if yeah. i was going to do it but did you know you actually sent us another email you sent did us I another really email. yeah you did uh two years after the first one this one is from march 27th 2021 hey muggle cast that's terrifying uh, i don't even know or fan content idea you'll remember what this is had a quick idea for new content official or unofficial I know people don't love the career paths. Canon and Cursed Child sent the trio oh. down, but what about this? A crime drama TV series. <laughs> Harry is an horror solving crimes and mysteries, working with Hermione as she's working her way up the ministry. And maybe a plot point is convincing Ron to leave the joke shop and pursue his goal to become an horror as well. 
There's 19 years post-Deathly Hallows that could be explored and plenty of life events along the way from marriages, kids, promotions, not to mention dating a professional athlete. Hell yeah. Harry <laughs> Ginny. Uh, all make good subplots while the episodes deal with solving cases and we could end at the epilogue and give viewers the option of pretending Cursed Child doesn't exist. <laughs> Love me a good crime drama. Thanks, Zach. I, I do remember that now. That's funny. So I'm officially the fanboy. Uh, I was not blowing smoke up your ass. That is legit. Uh, yeah, you funny, emailed though. us. Yeah, and and even though we did not reply, which I am sorry about, uh, oh, sorry. we did get it. Both emails had been read, and so whoever was managing, you know, we we really did. Usually, we'd like to take the time to reply or include them in Muggle Mail, but we don't get to every single one. Of course you don't. Why would you? Um, and that's actually what I brought you on the podcast for. It was literally to just berate you about why didn't you read my emails over the past oh, couple great. Well, of years? Yeah, I think oh, I, I fixed that. I solved that. <laughs> Hopefully it's uh, not too little too late. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, my gosh. All right. So the main reason I actually did, uh, the main discussion I did want to have with you, and you alluded to this earlier before we got on the uh, on the side quest of my sent folder, um, is... You have been a part of this fandom since day one. You all have chronicled the fandom essentially since day one, at least since day one of audio content uh, format be existing. Um, you are perhaps the perfect person to go through essentially the fandom as it has aged because you've been a prominent figure in it since day one so let's start from like the literally the beginning what was this fandom when you got in initially yeah yeah uh there's parts of it i don't know which i will say um right up front in fact it's a real <laughs> disclaimer here because there were a few years but but anecdotally and through other coverage that I have seen and read. There's a few early documentaries I'll talk about as well um, that kind of fill in the gaps um, about sort of what the fandom was was early like. But Harry Potter and kind of why it is so unique, I think, to, to your point of very few other franchises have the same longevity and the same kind of capturing the world's attention that Harry Potter did. I mean, Harry Potter may be unique in what it was, uh, while there are other major properties like Doctor Who, Star Wars, Star Trek uh, that have come out over the years. There's nothing quite like Harry Potter. There's nothing quite like the way no. that it inspired children to read books, um, especially when, you know, the topic of conversation among inner literary circles was how nobody is reading books anymore uh, with the advent of the Internet. And it was there was this fear that kids would not read books. They wouldn't sit to read a book. Either the the internet or TV was getting too, you know, too crazy. This was the <laughs> same kind of era in the early, late 90s, early 2000s that blamed like the Columbine shooting on video games. You know, people were really concerned about new media replacing old media. And, you know, I've got to say 20 odd years later, thank God that didn't happen. I'm glad we still have sort of a, you know, a, a publishing industry for <laughs> books still uh, exist. <laughs> hard print bo books are still in existence for now, uh, which is great. A uh, print media went out of the way. There's no newspapers anymore, kind of. Um, but uh, organ advertising, man, it, it's a it's a real problem. everything has changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I so I think right around the time that the books were published, which is uh, for, you know, listeners, 1997 in the UK uh, was the first book. 1998 was the first book in the US and the second book in the UK. So from 97, 98 onward, uh, Harry Potter was well received um, among literary circles. Basically, the first people that ever read Harry Potter were children that had. Uh, an aunt or an uncle or a parent that either worked in education, uh, worked at bookstores where the books were being sold, uh, or, you know, had uh, heard about it through kind of word of mouth means. Uh, and, and this is so many people that we have heard from, too, have said, like, my kindergarten teacher read it to us or but, but you got to think like that. And that's uh, some of those are Americans. So already my my earliest touchstone here of like what fandom might have been like comes a few years in because mm -hmm. by the time a u.s school teacher 
you know, reads the book to her class, so much has had to have happened to like get the book there and get the book to yeah. the US and get the, you know. So, so suffice to say, I don't know the earliest uh, <laughs> stuff. And I myself became a Harry Potter fan after the first movie came out in 2001 and by that point there had been four books released yeah. uh actually six books because jk rowling did quidditch through the ages and the original fantastic piece and where to find them books for charity um as like the school books in harry's world but those were done also i think released in 2000 so hmm. jk rowling was quite uh you know world known by the time i you know and, and so the fandom existed so but how how it sort of coincided with the internet really begins the journey of the story that i can tell which is the fan sites and mm. uh in 1999 uh emerson sparts a teenager uh homeschooled teenager from laporte indiana uh started a site that would be mugglenet.com and the there's a lot of uh you can debate like what made MuggleNet popular, what made MuggleNet MuggleNet, what made it the uh you know in a few short years the most trafficked site on the web for Harry Potter fans. And if I had to guess, I would still say it was the name. It's a catchy name. It's, it's a good one. The it fact is. that you capitalize the N, although people still have trouble with that. Uh, but <laughs> and then it wasn't Muggle.net, MuggleNet.com. Yeah you know, as kind of something weird and funny and quirky. Um, but yeah, it was one of many, 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 many sites. And, and here's the thing is like, as early as there were uh, it, internet sites, like AOL was the training wheels. It was the internet on training wheels for a lot of people it was how mm -hmm. I found the internet. My family had a yeah. home computer in the, in the mid nineties and we had AOL and that was how I found people and how I found websites. But as early as that, there were website builders that were available to those same, I want to say children, but but really to everybody, just the public. Like Yahoo had GeoCities um, and there were other such examples of, you know, really websites on training wheels. And huh. uh, then there were the children of developers. There were the people, you know, whose parents had the internet in the 80s because the internet is absolutely from the early 80s uh and you know email at least is from the yeah. 80s you you hear from uh their star trek fans that uh were emailing each other uh in the 80s about star trek <laughs> so that's just the craziest thing to really think about because the you know AOL was like for me my end but also the explosion of like america yeah. is online uh at that time so the the ease by which you could start your own website with little coding experience or in the case of like emerson his dad was very business savvy uh and so he had a he had a leg up and he himself was very interested in like starting a business and running like you know something like a website that got so much traffic and was very early on supported by like ads and things like was right mm -hmm. up his alley and it was always going to be somebody like emerson that started like the thing that became crazy but the other thing is that you know, everyone, the demand was there. The demand was there for a place because if you, the internet is how you, where you go to share your interests. This is the, the internet is a much wider net to cast than anywhere else. Uh, you know, your local library is a great place to start, but if you want to meet people in different states, in different countries, even, uh, you go to the internet, you search uh, AOL chat rooms, you look for a Harry Potter, you know, chat created by users and click it and say, what do you talk about? I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> back then it was uh, IRC uh, chats and and other things. It wasn't even anything we would recognize today as being, uh, I guess it's kind of similar to like Discord now. Um, but yeah, so so early on, all I know is that there were for a few years, we're talking 99, early 2000, there was a huge boom in Harry Potter fan sites and at the same time, uh, fan fiction was being written and shared. And fan fiction is not new to Harry Potter. Um, in fact, that that is largely credited with um, things like Star Trek in the 1960s. Uh, <laughs> but it was a natural kind of output of people who read this story that resonates with them. And mm -hmm. the story lives rent-free in their brain. Uh, and so creative type people began creating the first fandom content, fan fiction, fan art, if you're artistically minded, 
uh, you know, why not draw Harry and his friends? Why not share that on the internet? And that was possible. That was a great way to get noticed on, um, I think it was probably too early for like DeviantArt, but uh, LiveJournal uh, and some other early sites like that hosted art, you know, you could get well-known for doing Harry Potter art even back then, well before Instagram. Um, and <laughs> another example of early fandom is Wizard Rock, which comes about mm. in the early 2000s. Um, but, uh, and, and I have more uh, citations for that. But uh, essentially, fans were congregating, Harry Potter fans were congregating in the early, earliest 2000s, late 90s, uh, on these Harry Potter fan sites. And the interesting thing that not a lot of people know is that warner brothers panicked <laughs> and jk rowling's people panicked because it's all about that intellectual property that ip so what happens is Fans who love the books and want to talk about things like, say, name origins, uh, for instance, which is like the people who had clued in to the fact that Remus Lupin is Latin for Wolfie McWolferson, um, <laughs> you know, wanted to talk about it. And so they'd publish whole excerpts of the books, you know, to in order to spark discussion and be like, this means this, this means that, you know, kind of a thing. And even if you didn't do that, even if you didn't post large sections of the book, Engaging with the content didn't mean the same thing to the rights holders back then. Uh, yeah. They they were afraid of appropriation. They were afraid, they were protective of their new cash cow because again, for three years, nothing has made them as much money in the entire publishing industry as Harry Potter. Even back then, it was so so money making and so revolutionary. And the promise of seven books coming was just absolutely insane. Like. The idea that there's going to be four more, like so many opportunities to, you know, uh, line mm -hmm. the line the pockets. So Harry Potter fan sites were sent cease and desists. <laughs> we're talking children, 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 year olds getting official, not made up cease and desist from Warner Brothers saying you must cease your like the operation of your online website or face legal action. And yet they still exist. Well, uh, that's not, not well, not yeah. the sites, but like, that's a really, if that happened tomorrow for a fandom, call it Perry hotter over here in a completely different genre. If that happened, that fandom would be like, all right, screw you guys. Screw you guys, I am going home. And they would nice. stop. They just wouldn't, like, they would essentially cancel the, they would cancel Warner Brothers. They would cancel the series. They wouldn't buy another book. Like, it would be mass chaos. But these, like, they continued to be fans, even though the, you know, powers that be of that thing that they're such a fan of just basically told them to shove it. Well, not all did remain fans. Not all could keep the operation up. What 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 eventually happened is real lawyers uh, who were sympathetic to the fans stepped in uh, because the the issue mostly at play, and this is an issue that we still face today, is copyright infringement and fair use. What what constitutes in the U.S. and and I just realized uh, I just learned recently that this concept of fair use and this concept of copyright protection under parity uh, law is extremely unique in the US. It is not the same everywhere. It's not the same in the UK at all. Um, the reason we have many beloved Harry Potter things such as a very Potter musical and uh, Puffs the play, mm -hmm. um, which you know was in New York for a few years in 2017 and more and now is touring um nationwide the reason that a lot of those beloved properties exist is strictly because the same law that is still a thorn in warner brothers side so what ended up happening was eventually enough kids were traumatized and asking questions and like some of them did have to shudder if you get a, an official threatening letter from the rights holder of this this book you like yeah how insane is that and to be clear like scholastic and well bloomsbury and jk rowling owned the rights but 
but Warner Brothers got involved early on because they had optioned the films. And so uh, there's also like toys and merchandise and like all that other stuff. So I, I don't know if it was Warner Brothers specifically that sent the C&Ds to the websites, but I think it probably was. Um, and, you know, if you get this official looking email and you're 13, you don't want to go to jail. No, you're uh, shutting down the site. No, you're shutting it down. You're closing yeah. it. So some of some of those early sites that were on like GeoCities and fan pages and, you know, it, like early progenitors to like Squarespace and Zanga and stuff like had to be shut down. And then the ones that weren't were the people that not necessarily could even like defend themselves in court of law, but asked follow-up questions. And so mm -hmm. there's a, um, there's a woman who's a fandom lawyer called Heidi Tandy, and she'd be able to tell you the whole story. Um, but she started off, uh, at, uh, God, what was the fan fanfiction.net or I think there was an earlier, there was an earlier website than even fanfiction.net. I think that housed and hosted, uh, Harry Potter fan fiction. Uh, and, uh, you know, her discipline was, uh, being a lawyer and, uh, she has throughout the years, uh, really shepherded these talks and actually been in court on both sides of the, uh, aisle, uh, about this issue of fair use. What ended up happening with the websites, just to keep things in sort of a chronological perspective, uh, was that it became, uh, a battle that Warner Brothers changed their minds on. Um, you know, if you look at or think about, you know, Harry Potter fans that are these children, it's probably not good optics that you're going after, you know, these kids, uh, no matter what they're doing, right? Yeah. Uh, on on one hand, uh, because they're just passionate. Um, but what, what ended up happening, certainly by the time we started our podcast in 2005, um, Harry Potter fan sites were actually in no small way keeping the fandom alive. Because the home, they had become homes away from home of discussion, hotbeds of discussion uh, of the books, of the series, entire basically shrines. Every Harry Potter fan site was a shrine to that intellectual property, to that work, and kept the buzz going. There are three years between books, and that's a lot of time for busy people who are growing and schooling to forget about. Harry Potter. Not mm -hmm. that that would necessarily ever happen, but the I think that the level of engagement that Harry Potter fans had with the source material is largely due to not just MuggleNet, but all fan sites. All of the content creators that quickly were in that space, whether it's Wizard Rock or anybody that you found, anyone that was your friend on the internet that also liked Harry Potter, kept you more engaged and kept you, let's be honest, consuming that material. And so I think probably early on that argument was made that it 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 ultimately the fan sites are a good thing. Now they weren't going to go down without a fight. There are certain by the time we did uh the podcast in 2005, we needed an agreement with Warner Brothers to not put the name of our podcast on t-shirts because muggle was a copyrighted phrase and so even just putting muggle cast on a t-shirt mm -hmm. uh was an issue of contention they were policing everything they allowed muggle net to exist they allowed muggle cast to exist they knew about us and there was an email or two but there were restrictions on it and it doesn't feel good it doesn't look good it kind of sucks but you know, this is kind of the environment that existed back then, uh, because also the law, many laws that are here today hadn't been written yet surrounding copyright, <laughs> surrounding fair use. So again, on YouTube now, partly because YouTube videos can be like 30, you know, whatever long, if you have copyrighted content, like clips from a movie uh, on YouTube, as part of your discussion reaction kind of video that you want to do, you can do that. You can just post the video. Everybody download, you download the video, you insert the clips that you want along with clips of your face on webcam, right? <laughs> you can do that. That is legal now because it's commentary. It's copyright and fair use and commentary. It's transformative works is the, the phrase to Google. Um, and that's allowed because there's been enough legal precedent now at this point. The people who do uh, supercuts 
of like every time Snape was funny or every time Harry <laughs> made a funny face, those supercuts. Also, no individual commentary directly. You don't see anybody on their webcam talking about it, but the supercuts and fan videos and, and Tumblr was doing this too with GIF sets. Like that all still falls now under the legal, totally available category of, you know, transformative and fair use. And so the law had to catch up with how children were using the internet is basically the main like five or six years of like way of viewing the earliest part of the fandom because that was all going on while MuggleNet was growing in popularity, while the podcasts were starting. That was still very much that era. And uh, Wizard Rock is going to be like my first big citation here. There's a documentary called We Are Wizards. Um, and have you ever seen this, by the way? I haven't, no. Okay, it's it's hard to find. I'm checking it. It it was listed on Amazon, uh, but it's not on Amazon. It was listed on Vudu, but it's not on uh, Vudu. But um, it was released in 2008. It's an hour and 18 minutes from, uh, let's see, Josh Corey is the director, K-O-U-R-Y. And uh, essentially... It's it's a story about the first wizard rockers and that, you know, they can track. They know who it was, uh, Harry and the Potters and Draco <laughs> and the Malfoys, uh, two bands that didn't know each other that started more or less simultaneously. I think Harry Potter, uh, Harry and the Potters was in the Boston area, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's a story about the first wizard rockers. But I think it also leans into a little bit of the first people that like like parents and children that go and see these types of events. And I think it also I think that's the documentary where it also talked about like the legal struggles of fan sites and cease and desist. And I think it interviews some of them. I could be wrong because it is mostly focused on the wizard rock. But you do get an early peek into the fandom from a outsider's perspective, from a fan's perspective mm -hmm. in that documentary. So it's worth tracking down somehow, uh, again, called We Are Wizards. Um, but that's 2008. So that's still a few years after, you know, the fact mm -hmm. here is like when it was happening. A lot of it was we didn't know what was happening. A lot we can't quantify it. You know, our podcast was growing. I I have theories about why, but like the first part of the the fandom was really, you know, the wild west of the internet, sort of taming the wild west of the internet and coming together and finding what kind of content within the fandom you would consume. That's, it's fascinating because it's almost like you could draw a correlation or maybe just outright say that this fandom is almost responsible for a lot of what the content is that we uh consume on the internet outside of harry potter content because react videos are like all the people literally make react videos to other youtube videos that might even be react video like we we could have react to react to react videos and that stuff all like happens and it probably doesn't without this like wave that was fought essentially in creating content on the internet within this fandom. It may not yeah, have been I, the only fandom doing it, but like, right. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, hand. we didn't, we didn't invent fan art, but right. a, a specific notable case of uh, art copyright infringement that was settled or, or, you know, became law may, may actually affect the, the, how the entire landscape is uh, these days. I think there's going to be more examples of that than we can possibly track, uh, to be honest, sure. or, or the other side of it is even if it's not like what's legally available now, um, because people in their lives have had Harry Potter, um, you get a whole lot else that exists and some of that's like it changed publishing so the new york times uh didn't track uh the children's literature on a separate uh or young adult um they didn't track sales for children separately from adult books and harry potter changed that because harry potter was at the top of the new york times bestseller list for flipping years <laughs> and adults were like what the hell is this children's book doing at the top of the like i want to read <laughs> books about communism and i want to read books about yeah. war in iraq and i want to read you know what the hell are these so to solve it new york times literally had to publish a second list that was just the bestsellers in young adult uh fiction so now there's two lists That's... or or more <laughs> little things like that 
that yeah. I know Harry Potter started and was and was responsible for. But now it makes perfect sense to have a New York Times separate young adult list to track because young adult fiction has absolutely exploded. And yeah. fantasy is back baby and you know all of it like really if you think about the books that the publishing industry is heralded as quote the next harry potter started with like twilight and the hunger games and all that stuff you know their success their ability to be marketed and their 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 ability to be even greenlit from the publishing uh from the publisher is largely because there was that demand and publishers were looking for the next big harry potter publishers especially yeah. that weren't scholastic uh or bloomsbury <laughs> were looking for what their book series that was going to go viral was and so harry potter like so many of what's common today really does have dna uh and you know the fingerprints of harry potter on it um having very little to do with necessarily with the author that that wrote it um you know for, to to her credit jk rowling wrote a story that was timeless uh hopeful uh humanist complex uh and funny and yeah. and and it was the right blend of genres and it was the right blend of uh established sort of fantasy lore and mm -hmm. and packaged in a way that was and felt new to people and it introduced a lot of kids, not just to reading, which is the uh, remarkable feat in and of itself, uh, because yeah. I didn't read. Uh, oh, I, I still don't read. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but Harry Potter is the exception for a lot yeah. of kids, and 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 other people it sparked writing careers, or or, or famous fantasy authors now are are crediting you know the Harry Potter books with with inspiring them to write, or or in some cases. Harry Potter fan fiction became uh, changed and made into big best-selling books in and of itself. I think, um, or Twilight fan fiction. I'm thinking Fifty Shades of Grey might have originally been uh, Twilight fan fiction. I want to say. I think I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, like Edward and Bella are stand-ins for Christian and uh, whatever her name is. I haven't I haven't read or seen uh, the books. I have no but... clue. Yeah, but anyway, so like examples like that, I think uh, Harry Potter was the crucible by which a lot of what we recognize as being modern interaction with content, fan interaction with content, uh, really started because it was a confluence of events. It was the start of the internet, it or it was the start of children on the internet, um, hmm. you know, and it was the start of like fan websites and things. And to our credit, if you want to go like getting into MuggleCast, um, I really do believe and I want to be corrected that MuggleCast on episode 32, which I've already talked about, started the format of chapter by chapter of de of dedicating a episode of, in this case, a podcast to a specific segmented portion of something like a book. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we were first. And uh, I, 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 because uh, it probably existed in written form reactions to things like Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes segments. That must have surely been kind of a thing that you can think of. But the way that people do have reaction videos now, to your point, or the mm -hmm. way that podcasts specifically have um, – there's movie watch podcasts. There's TV watch podcasts, and they'll do mm -hmm. an episode of the podcast based on an episode of television, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I think we did it first. And uh, and and so in a way, all of those shows owe it kind of to Mugglecast <laughs> in a fun way. It's it's a way that I like to entertain myself thinking about um, because we did it in uh, early 2006, and that was right when podcasts were first started. It's hard to imagine a podcast that would have done it sooner. Mm -hmm. And I think because that media existed and the idea of like bite-sizing it out and just looking at something as robust as the Harry Potter books and going, we're going to segment it and talk about this for discussion purposes, mm -hmm. uh, was very new, uh, especially for kids, our, for people our age at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're on one of those now. And so I guess I owe another thank you to MuggleCat, not just for showing up, but for actually creating the whole concept. Certainly as a podcast. I think I think that's fair to to take credit for. And then because we predate YouTube, every YouTube video that's ever been is uh, thanks to MuggleCast as well. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Every single YouTube video. That every single one. Every yeah. single one. <laughs> I don't really believe that. Disclaimer, disclaimer. But 
Uh, but no, it's it's been wild because we were on the vanguard of of, of yeah. something new, and we witnessed we did witness like the birth of fandom. Um, so I don't know how many years specifically that might be said to cover from your perspective of like wanting a history of yeah. Harry Potter, but that's what I got from starting. Like, <laughs> when I think about the early years, I think about all that stuff. Everything was new. Entire mediums didn't exist. Social media didn't exist. Podcasts didn't exist until the early 2000s and 2005 was when they were uh, put on the iTunes directory, which really sold iPod mm. podcast to the world. Yeah. We, that was like the beginning nice a quick summary of like the last 15 years uh, <laughs> of uh since we ended in 2008 uh so is it cool if i do that yeah go for it it's okay, your podcast so, <laughs> it's your podcast sir um i'm just a guest uh so if we can speed speeding things up a little bit going from like 2008 when we are wizards having uh you know and and the early days of harry potter oh fan conventions is another thing get oh me on gosh. again to talk for hours about harry potter conventions dude it's um, a revolt it's an open door there's no lock i'll give you the passcode uh, to my front door we can okay. do this anytime all right where, where do you live <laughs> where um, yeah, exactly yeah uh so anyway uh fan conventions yeah the meeting places, uh, including the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park that happened. Uh, there began to be spaces, both digital and physical, where fans would gather, meet. Uh, when the books were still coming out, they, there were midnight release parties. When the movies were out, there were midnight release parties. People uh, driving and, by, spoiling it from the windows yeah, of cars. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that guy. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, it went pretty much the way that we're more familiar with interacting with content and media now, you know, where mm -hmm. fan uh, conventions, comic cons are a thing. And, you know, that all kind of also got its origin um, there. And, it, you know, as far as the podcast, I talked about how we stopped uh, roughly around like 2014, mm -hmm. 2015 era. Uh, but, you know, the first hundred episodes of MuggleCast uh, took place before the last book came out. So the first hundred episodes, and it's an even number, like episode 100 was literally the show <laughs> yeah, why not? which we got, we got the seventh book on episode 100. Um, and it uh, was speculation. What is going to happen? Uh, we yeah. did do some chapter by chapter in there, but most of it, like the whole context is we had just read book six and it came out. And so the, the two years between book six and book seven are encapsulated, frozen in time, time capsule of the first hundred episodes of MuggleCast. And then, you know, for the next couple of years, the movies were still coming out. We were still reporting the news of like new trailer and let's go through <laughs> it. And, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. And yeah, talk about like trailer uh, dissection episodes and things like that. Some of the first, you know, episodes to do that, I'm sure were MuggleCasts. So, you know, kind of fast forwarding, there've been a few, like I said, legal challenges over the years and Harry Potter has not died down at all. There's more content than ever. Um, although I would argue subpar content with, you know, the play and, and unfortunately the, the overall direction of the movies, which I know you talked about with Juliana. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those but, movies. Yeah. I mean, Man, I wanted really, to love those movies. I know. Me too. <laughs> me too. The first one I think is flawless actually. Um, you may not feel that way, but, uh, but I loved it. Um, I, yeah. I had very, very little to complain about with the first movie the when i i mentioned i did like the how to fix the fantastic beast series my notes on the first one ultimately came back to the grindelwald part and really how the movie ended so it wasn't really about the movie itself it was the ending of the movie yeah that was my big issue i think and i don't want to rehash everything but i think that it would have been a much more powerful ending and a much more powerful villain character if Percival Graves was just Grindelwald and he had like he had manipulated his way to a point of like oh. prominence within the US wizarding government he was just that uh that manipulative that uh, that um charismatic that like convincing and it wasn't a body swap transfiguration polyjuice stand in sure, sure, law sure. regurgitation of something we've already seen like how much more terrifying is he if he can get to that level of power in the US just by going undercover fair <laughs> as yeah, himself for sure. 
but for sure and and it's i i think the uh in general to the fantastic piece sequels make the first one look worse um uh in in, in <laughs> yeah, certain, they in certain ways because i think in the end the balancing act that was not well done of newt stuff versus grindelwald stuff yeah uh, ends up getting so you know careens off a cliff and 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 tanks <laughs> tanks. So yeah. even though Grindelwald is only at the end of the first film in that little last bit, and it's like, wait, what is going on right now? Yeah. Um, the whole film, you can feel it like a weight that's sinking yeah. the whole rest of the the franchise. Um. So anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you know, when there, this is all to say when there was new stuff happening. There were podcasts about it. Yeah. There were reaction videos that we did not do that were about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the whole world has seen, uh, has had Cursed Child play near them, uh, sure. which, ooh, okay. Uh, and Did you, you, you yeah. saw it, right? You saw we the play? Saw, it's worth seeing. Uh, it's it's worth seeing. The, there's certain special effects in the magic that I I don't know how they did it. And it, and it looked amazing. That um, seems to be the consensus of multiple parties that I have heard that have gone to see it, is it's absolutely stunning to watch. I haven't seen it. I've read it. And it's hot garbage horse shit to read. I hope it's amazing to watch. <laughs> yeah, and it's – and it's. Uh, I was asked – I was talking about this with somebody recently, and uh, she was like, w does seeing it take the edge off the script? Mm-hmm. Uh, because my main complaint about the script to her was the characters don't read like themselves. No, um, at all. Right, and 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 crucially, J.K. Rowling did not write it. Uh, yeah. She like authorized the story, and that's one thing that I don't think is well done at all. Uh, I don't think they found the characters' voices, mm. and to a certain extent, seeing a redheaded man on stage be called Ron by everyone else on stage does soften the blow a little bit it doesn't matter what he says out of his mouth and if it seems realistic interesting because that level of immersion you know you're you're very conscious that you're seeing theater and theater already forgives in that way yeah. you can you can see multiple hamlets you can see multiple macbeths throughout the course of your life and yeah. not think anything of it you know so it's like that does kind of in a mystical way soften the blow but there's still moments where line delivery is just like, or motivations, characters would never say that or never do that, or it's yeah. reductive. The, the real problem with Cursed Child, apart from the writing, is that it panders to the lowest common denominator of Harry Potter fans. It's a who's who of everything you've ever known about Harry Potter. Bellatrix is back, Voldemort is back, Umbridge is back, time travel, shenanigans, <sighs> uh, breaking into the ministry, everything they've literally already ever done. The Triwizard Tournament is there. You know, like, it's it's so bad because they didn't take the time to do it right and they didn't dare to make it a little bit more cerebral i think mm, the, yeah. the weirdest thing about cursed child is when it initially was announced we're talking the thing that brought MuggleCast back on episode <laughs> 270 uh the initial summary was something having nothing to do with Harry Potter's son getting involved in timey-wimey shenanigans and actually bringing Voldemort back and meeting his daughter. It was actually instead about Harry's relationship with the son uh, yeah. and and kind of a very much more, if you read the initial like summary that came out, it seemed that it would actually have very low production value. It seems <laughs> like it would be a play that you could do for, you know, $6,000 uh off broadway somewhere like it really seemed like it would be this amazing character study of mm. this this boy that had been through war that had no direction of how to parent because he himself was an orphan yeah and i would watch the shit out of that and yeah. at some point the money makers at some point the shareholders got involved and they turned it into this commercially successful pile of garbage and <laughs> at a certain and it's it it hurts me that thousands of performances of the cursed child do, at me personally i am hurt <laughs> and I, I feel attacked as a harry potter fan and and lover of these stories that thousands of performances of this exist because it is less than uh what it could be uh, yeah. And it is, and it, you know, like, it's just entertainment. If people go and are entertained, fine. But 
our tickets were like four hundred and thirty dollars, and you got to see. We at that point you had to see it in two acts on, or no, four acts, two different parts on two different two different days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you went on Wednesdays, which we did, um, where they had all four acts back to back with like a small lunch break. Um, so. So yeah, I mean, when new content came out, we covered it, and and it's been interesting to see what you know the the fans have like their passion has ebbed and flowed, but we've just found other things to like. And then the other aspect is that people who were fans originally are having children, and they're introducing their children into Harry Potter, and yeah. so you have this entire new generation. Literally, we have had over the last two weeks, we've been contacted by eleven. 13 and 14 year olds that are all listening to our show we our show is 18 years of age and mm -hmm. these people were not born uh <laughs> like chapter by chapter predates these people's lives and we're doing chapter by chapter uh you know now so so yeah it's it's wild to think but there is this cyclical nature of it all and knowing that these stories are being revisited not just by us but by people finding and like people are always finding it for the first time means that it really is this perpetual cycle that will continue going on until after we are all uh, long dead <laughs> or we can only ends. hope or yeah but mugglecast will still exist because you know somebody else will be hosting it you you all will pass on that right to, to we somebody did think i thought it would be hilarious to find children that were born on august 7th of 2005 <laughs> because they would be 18 now yeah and to have them host an episode of mugglecast like that would be hysterical literally the day like a casting call yeah the day that we all like or within a month you know yeah. but kids from 2005 can legally vote now like you said our podcast is <laughs> adult yeah. and i want to i want to hear from them i want i want them to host a discussion that's either a carbon copy of like our first episode's discussion of like whatever news items were out <laughs> that week uh which was probably like a new goblet of fire trailer came out or something like that uh you know or the other idea was that you know eventually one day all of our children would yeah. uh, be hosts on the, on the <laughs> show you know if we all decide to have kids so but... none of us yet uh i don't think so but yeah, <laughs> not that anyone's aware of yet. Not then, that we know of. All, yeah. all of a sudden, the phone buzzes on the counter. Yeah, and like, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> need a fact check on that. Hey, it's future Zach from the future. When I'm editing this episode in future times, I hope you've enjoyed this Harry Potter fandom history lesson. I certainly did. Eric was so generous with his time, and we had such a great discussion when recording, I didn't want to cut anything just to make it shorter. So I'll be sharing part two of this conversation as we explore different aspects of the fandom as it relates to favorite characters, divisive topics, the Marauders, and some characters who were done super dirty in the books. That'll be next week's episode on the feed. In the meantime, make sure you check out Eric on MuggleCast and his personal podcast, Thank You for Spieling. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, leave a review on the podcast player you're listening on right now. And reminder, belatedbinge.com has a voicemail feature to join the discussion yourself. And there's also bonus episodes available on Patreon and links to everything you could possibly need in the show notes.